Amen. Amen. Well, um, we didn't get a chance to do this, but with always like a confession of faith or just a declaration, we also have uh, passing of the peace. So would you just take a moment to turn to people next to you and just welcome them with the peace of Christ and just say, hey, good to see you. And this is not a lie. Just say, you look good today. And just let people recognize the beauty of the image of God in them. So you might have heard this uh, before, but let me read it again. In 1961, Vince Lombardi went to the Green Bay Packers, and this was a season right after they lost the NFC Championship to the Eagles in the fourth quarter. And the players came to the training camp. They were expecting some incredible insight and fancy new place to win the championship. Vince Lombardi sat them all down and held up a football and said, Gentlemen, this is a football. He then had everyone open up their playbooks and start on page one, where they began to learn the fundamentals, blocking, tackling, throwing, catching, etc. That was clearly not what they had expected as players who were at the top of their game, but that hyper-focus on the fundamentals and the basics led them to the NFL championship that season, 37-0 against the New York Giants. And Vince Lombardi went on to win five NFL championships in seven years. He never coached a team with a losing season after that and never lost a playoff game. That's Vince Lombardi, and this is why we call it the Lombardi Trophy. It makes us think about church and go back to the simple question, why are we here? Can you just say that to someone next to you? Why are we here? Why are we here? Why is this church here? And there are so many things that the world has morph the church into. It's a place where we hear beautiful music. It's a place where we gather together to, I don't know, look, look at stained glass windows and to make friends. None of these are wrong, but is that why we're here? And so what Vince Lombardi did with the football team, sometimes we need to come back and go back to the fundamentals as well. Why are we here? What is the main point of this church? And for the past two weeks, we went through Acts chapter 1 and Acts chapter 2, and Jesus tells us why we're here. You continue the work that I started, and when I ascend to heaven, I will leave with you the helper, the counselor, the Holy Spirit, so that you continue the work that I've begun. And through you, you are the church that will go into the world to share and proclaim this good news. And so Jesus ascends to heaven, and remember the disciples were staring up, and two men dressed in white said, what are you doing staring up at the sky? (laughs) Go back and prepare for the Holy Spirit, and they did, and Pentecost came, Holy Spirit filled them, and the church was birthed. And so we're at Acts chapter 3, and what we see in Acts chapter 3 is the illustration, the visual of a church that's living out the gospel. The church that knows why they're here, the basic fundamentals. And if you notice so far, they haven't built the building yet. They haven't called a pastor. They haven't built a choir. They didn't get nice carpets. All they're doing is devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, eating together and celebrating the Lord's Supper, to meeting together and to prayer. And the Lord continued to add to their number. So as a side note, this church is not 5,000 members. I think we're about 4,000 members. But that was a lie. 
So, but this, the size of this church is such a precious gift because you can literally know every single person's name. And through that community, you get to know how to pray for them. You get to cry with them. You get to walk with them so that we can together be the body of Christ to do God's work. And the people of God said, amen. And so it's not larger is better. It's the community that knows who they are, whose they are, and to whom they serve and move and have their being. And so this is the Acts Church. This is why God's given us his Holy Spirit. Uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones gave a sermon on the whole book of Acts, and today I'm borrowing heavily from him. Brilliant insight on Acts chapter 3. What is the church? What, how does the gospel propel through this body of Christ? And so we're going to look at this. In Acts chapter 3, we have a man who was lame at birth sitting by the gate. His friends dropped him off every day, and he's there receiving offerings. Along comes Peter and some of the apostles, and the man says, you know, please give me some money. And then they look at him and they say, look at me. And so the beggar, the lame man looks at Peter and Peter says the famous words. And some of you sang this growing up in children's ministry. Silver and gold I have none, but what I have I will give to thee in the name of Jesus Christ. Rise up, get up and walk. Do you guys remember the chorus? He was leaping and jumping and praising God, leaping and jumping. Am I, so can you raise your hand if you know that song? Oh, thanks. Okay, there's at least six of us. And so that's the song that we learned as children. He was jumping and leaping and praising God, right? And so this is that song. It's a miracle story. And so Martin Lloyd-Jones does a brilliant take, and I wanted to share it with you. This is not my idea. I'm borrowing it from him. He was an early 20th century pastor, one of the best preachers in the modern era. And he says, in this story, we see the gospel of Jesus Christ. That the miracle is not just a show. The miracle is also what he says is like a parable. So think about all the miracles in the Bible. For example, uh, the miracle of Jonah being swallowed by the fish, and he was in the belly of a fish for how many days? Three days. Friends, that's a miracle. That's not just a narrative you glance over. You, you need water, oxygen, <laughs> and he's in the belly of a fish. And then three days later, he was spit out, and he did his ministry. What is that miracle pointing at? Jesus will die. Three days later, he will rise again, and he's going to do God's work. Take another miracle. Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. Awesome story. We say hallelujah. But what is the miracle teaching us? What is the miracle teaching you? You know this. What is the miracle of Lazarus coming back to life teaching us? That Jesus Christ has the power to speak over death and bring someone to life with just his words. That he is the resurrection. Wow. So it's not just that someone rose again. It's teaching us in 21st century, Jesus is the one who has the power over the grave. And he embodies it and shows it later. And then this is one of our favorites. Those of you who love Charleston Heston. In the Ten Commandments, what was the miracle at the end of the climax? The Red Sea parted. They were trapped. The Egyptians were coming with chariots. They're dead. And God says, fear not. Moses, go there. Lift up your hands. And then the Red Sea parted. And Hollywood, back in 1940s, or right? That's 40s? They did this amazing studio special effects. But what's the message of that miracle? 
that God is a God who gives freedom. When everything seems hopeless in the world, God is the one in whom we find refuge, salvation. So every miracle in the Bible points to the physical layer, but also the spiritual lesson for you and me. And so what's the lesson that we're trying to see from Acts chapter 3, a lame man since birth? And so let's go into it. The first thing, and we'll have the verses follow along. It says in verse 1, now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. So ninth hour means that it's 3 p.m. The Jewish day starts at 6 a.m. So the third hour is 9 a.m., the sixth hour is noon, and the ninth hour is 3 p.m. So they're going to pray, and as they're going to pray, verse 2 tells us, and a man lame from birth was being carried out. He was lame from birth, and the indication of this that's spiritual is that everyone, we are like this lame man. How so? We are born. Since the day we were able to breathe and we came into this world, we were born into a lameness. It's called sin. That this man was paralyzed to live the life he was meant to live. And the spiritual lesson for us in the gospel is you and I are born into this world crippled spiritually. We cannot live the life that God had intended for us. We are paralyzed. In what? Our sickness is sin. Some of you have heard me say this saying, we are not sinners because we sin. You are not a sinner because you sin. You sin and we sin because we are sinners. And so since the day we're born, Presbyterians have this very core theology, depravity of man, that since birth we are strayed from God. And so it's not that we've been pure and we're good, but then we messed up as we got older and now we're sinners. No, what we believe is, as David says, surely I was sinful since birth. And so paralysis of this man is a symbol to us that the world is paralyzed in this sin. We too cannot live the life we were meant to live. So I was thinking about, again, Allen, Texas. And wherever you stand, if you're red, you're purple. One thing's for sure. There is something wicked in people. There is something broken in us. And that this is, this year, I think we're the most shooting so far. We're on trend for this. And we have to scale back and realize, I think we're in a place where you could put all the laws and legislature, but we have such a complexity of mental issues, of brokenness, of sometimes evil or loneliness, or just anger and rage that it is not fixable by human work alone. And so we'll talk about that in just a short second, but Romans 6.23 tells us that this sin, this paralysis for you and me to live the way we're meant to live, it's not just a paralysis, but the wages of sin is death. It leads us to die apart from getting any help. Second thing we see about this is, um, I love this part, when they laid, uh, and a man was lame from birth, he was being carried, when they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called beautiful. Um, this stood out. Every day he has a friend who carries him to this gate. Every day. How many of you have friends like that? I, I don't know if I have friends like that who will do something for me every day like that for years. 
And this was amazing. Every day these friends would come pick him up. Hey, let's call him Larry. Hey, Larry, we'll take you to the temple gate so you could receive alms. And usually when people go to pray, they feel charitable. They give things and alms. It's just a fancy word for money for the poor. And as he's going there, he had friends who were able to be loyal, devoted. And here's the second lesson we see in the gospel. The world, in all its best intentions, in all its kindness, the world in all its beauty can do nothing but give temporary relief for the problem of sin. The world is beautiful, the world is helpful, but the world can do nothing but merely give temporary relief for the problem of sin. His friends took him to get money so he could eat every day, yes? His friends, with all the knowledge of the world, with, if they had a St. Jude Hospital, if they had a PIH, if they had Cedar Sinai Hospital, they still couldn't help his lameness. He was born like this. And so the message here is the world, we can look to it, and it will give us temporary relief from the issue of sin that it causes, but the world can never take away the source of the problem, which is sin. Um, many of you know this, um, and maybe some of you have family members who are addicted to gambling or drugs or alcohol. And there are fortunately so many great organizations out there now. And one of the websites I went to just to look and research what their vision is and their motive is. And why, do, why are people so addicted? And sometimes it's chemical. It's a lifelong battle. Sometimes it's emotional. And this caught my eye. Whether it's the thrill of gambling, the chemical effects of drugs and alcohol, or the sense of social belonging with other smokers, Vices such as these allow people to feel better about their situation and help them forget about their troubles and worries. This is from the website of one of the clinics called um, Care in Mind. Did you catch that? Why did we use drugs? Why do people get addicted to this? It gives them a relief, an immediate pain relief, and allows them to escape for a little bit of their troubles and worries, and they're in bondage to it. Some of us, we don't need to be addicted to drugs or alcohol or gambling. Some of us, we're addicted. We find temporary relief from the pain of sin or loneliness or brokenness with God. I think modern-day version is our children, our family, our careers. We use that to cover up the core issue of sin. We use anything, sometimes in a positive way in the church. We don't talk, we don't even use the word sin anymore in the church. We say things like, oh, they're, they're hurting. But the core issue is sin, and what we've done in the world is we've covered it up. And so their friends are good friends. They mean well, but they're giving merely temporary relief. They cannot take away his true problem. And so he goes on. Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, look at us. And as he fixed his attention on them, but that's so sad, isn't that? Like, the reason why they said look at us is he, he was just in despair. He couldn't even make eye contact. He was, this was his life. 
This is, this is where it's going to be. There's no hope. And so he turns to them, and it says, expecting to receive something from them. So here's a third thing the gospel is pointing us to. The man asked for alms. He didn't ask for healing. He didn't ask for a miracle. What, what was he expecting? Peter knew. Silver and gold, I have none. Because he knew that's what he wanted. And so Martin Lloyd-Jones says this. It's an indictment to, the, to us today, maybe Christians. Often we are looking for the wrong thing in the church that the church cannot give. He makes an incredible human observation. We are looking for things in the church that the church can't give. So, for example, these are all good, but this is what people look for in church. They look for moral training to make boys and girls good people. I've seen this in Korean church. Korean church, parents will say, get a good grade, focus on college. Morality and character, they say, go to church. Let the church do that job. You focus on getting good grades. So I grew up with that. Grew up, so we'll just do the great parts so you'll be successful, but the morality, the goodness, knowing God stuff, you could do it at church. And so moral training. Some people come to church, they want, they're very intellectual. I want to hear philosophy and theology. So they go to church. I want to go to a church that teaches depth. I want some meat. That's great. That's, that's not wrong. Like I want, I, want, I want some philosophical itch to be scratched. Some people, and this is very common and needed today, but very common. I, I need friends. I'm lonely. I'm, I, I'm, I'm ang- I have anger issues. Hey, let's go to church. All of these are not terrible things. One more thing I mentioned last week. We go to church for political reasons. I know so many pastors who have lost church members. Do you know why? Because the church required them to wear a mask. They've lost 40% of people because the church required them to wear a mask. I know some churches, during Black Lives Matter, the church spoke up too much and they left. And then the rest of them left because they didn't speak up enough. So the pastors are stressed out, and so they're looking for political pronouncements, according to Martin Lloyd-Jones, of why they go to church. By the way, you will never, ever hear me say, if you come to this church, you better vote for so-and-so. And everybody knows we should vote for... Just kidding, I had you. So, so they look for that. Are you a blue church? Are you a red church? Are you a liberal? Are you progressive? And so Martin Lloyd-Jones, this is 100 years ago in a sermon. He writes this. All of these things are not bad. This is what we do find in church. But they are not the primary reason for church. We have made secondary and tertiary reasons the primary. If you ask yourself, what gets me angry at church? That'll show you what your primary is. I don't like the music. I don't like the, I don't like the styles. And that shows you what you truly love in the church. And so what Martin Lloyd-Jones says here is, these things are great in a church, but that is not why we go to church. They can be found in church. We surely, this is where I disagree with him a little bit. We need to help people who have psychological issues. We need to be assisting those who are needy. 
We need to be a salt and light in the political realm. But we can't become political as a primary thing. This is not our primary. The gospel is. So Peter says to the man, verse 6, I do not have silver or gold, which is what you're looking for. And thanks be to God, Peter continues. Verse 6, but what I do have, I give to you. What does Peter have? Friends, what does Peter have? He knows the Savior who is the solution to this man's biggest problem. And it's not even paralysis. It's sin. This paralysis is an indication that there is sin in this world. So, let me read from you just his own words. The church is not here to talk politics, to play music, to give philosophical discourses, to produce art, or to provide social amelioration or psychological treatment. God forgive that anybody should be depending on my little ministry. Do you simply go to church to get temporary relief, to forget your troubles and feel happier for a moment? God have mercy upon you if you do. No, the business of the church is to deal with the problem of men and women, not to give alms, but to offer a cure for the paralysis. This is the unique message of the church. And this is what differentiates it from every other institution under the sun. The church is an expert on the soul. It is not a cultural center or a psychological clinic or a social agency. No, her calling, her commission is to deal with the souls of men and women this is what causes their paralysis. Their trouble is not in the mind, nor in the heart, nor anywhere else primarily, but in the soul. That is, in the essence of their being, the center of their life. Did you know Lazarus died after he was raised to death? Right? Did you know that all the 5,000 people that were fed miraculously by Jesus got hungry again? These things are temporary reliefs, even from our God. But thanks be to God, Jesus came to die on the cross and rose again to take care of our biggest problem, which is separation from God and the sin that causes us death. And this indication and healing that this man was able to jump and walk was the visual presentation that God is covering him with his grace. And so... Do not forget the main thing. You know, how many churches have forgotten why we exist? Have you thought about that? That you exist, we exist here to minister to the souls of men, women, and children around us. That's heavy. That's heavy. We can't do it, but that's our target. You and I exist on this mountain on Hillsboro, on this hill, to care and minister to the souls of the people. Biola graduates, you have graduated to go into the world so that you could be agents of Jesus Christ to work with the souls of people. That is worth living and dying for. And so when the church forgets that and we fight each other for the secondary, tertiary things, we forget the primary. It saddens me that a church lost 50% of their members because of vaccine, covid political or Black Lives Matter, because they have forgotten their calling, that even in our disagreement, we have a commonality, which is 
to spread the good news of Jesus Christ, that this world would know the Savior of the world. Amen? We forget that. And this is why we're so divided. And so, do not forget the main thing. It's Vince Lombardi. Go back to the fundamentals. Verse 7, And he took him by the right hand and raised him up. Immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. Verse 8, And leaping up, and he stood and began to walk and enter the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. Can you imagine this? This guy got up that day, and he's thinking, I hope it's a good day. I just hope I could get enough coins to buy a piece of bread and get some broth. That's, that's, that, was his, that was his win. I don't know that's true. I'm just imagining that to be the win. And so instead of that, he was hoping for that, and what he gets is something that he never even imagined to pray about anymore. He was, for the first time in his life, picture this, he was elevated above three feet for the first time in his life on his own power. Can you imagine what that does to his brain, his mind, how exciting that is? And here's the reason why you know he savored and knew that it was God's power. He was worshiping God. The miracle is a lesson to us that Peter wasn't the one who created the miracle, but God used a broken, redeemed person like Peter to heal this man in the name of Jesus Christ. The name that is which above which above every other name. That only Jesus Christ can give us the life that you and I were meant to live. Young adults, parents, youth group kids, we need to learn this and make this a core. When you go into the world, the world is going to say, this is what you need to become happy. They're going to show you a Ferrari. <laughs> They're going to show you a three-car garage. They're going to show you a vacation. And, you know, life is very simple. You could say no. <laughs> you could say, I don't need that. You know, I have a one, like, my family is, makes me rich. Like, God makes me rich. And so, the gospel of Jesus Christ is, you will never know true happiness unless Jesus Christ becomes your everything. That's the message of this miracle. That we will never find, we will keep chasing and chasing and chasing until we find contentment like Paul in just simply saying, Jesus, you're all that I need. And get this, those who find that, ironically, as a result of that contentment, are bold enough to do venture things and find success because their security is resolved. But when we try to make our insecurity, find that security in the things of the world, apart from Jesus, at best, it's a temporary relief from the problem of sin. We need to find the answer, and his name is Jesus. The healing of this man was immediate, total, and led to praising God. The gospel of Jesus Christ to you and me is immediate, total, and this is why Easter people worship God. I love that the children were up here. I looked at their faces, and all the little kids, not one of them said, why are we here? It's so embarrassing. They were actually worshiping. Did you see that? You need to encourage that. It's good to worship God. It's good to show the world that Jesus is worthy of our worship. How do people who experience this miracle live? We leap, we run, we jump, we go into the temple, we show the world. This is what Jesus Christ has done. And this is why I want you to have him. 
So like Peter, we are called to not display our power, but to display the power of God simply to this world. At the end of the day, this church is not, 100 years from now, this church may close. Like, let's be honest. It could be 10 years, 20 years. Our goal is not to keep this church alive. But whether God gives us one year left, 10 years left, or 100 years left, can we agree on this? Lord, whatever time you give us, may we be faithful with the primary purpose of why you established us here, which is the saving of souls through your name that we profess and we live out these doors Monday through Saturday, not just 11 o'clock on Sunday morning. And the church said, amen. Gosh, let's do this. Let's be this and the power of God and the grace of God that compels us. We simply say, yes, Lord. Would you join me as we confess our faith together with the Apostles' Creed? Let's say this with boldness. This is what we believe and hold. This is what unites us ultimately in this truth. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting.